listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbcok.info. You would open up your Bibles to Acts, Acts chapter 14. Man, that song was beautiful, powerful, and beautiful truth. Last week, we were in Acts 14 as well, and we talked about a man who had been crippled his whole life, and all of a sudden, he was healed. Now, I don't know if you've been around anybody that has been miraculously healed, but I've had the opportunity to see that with my own eyes on a few different occasions seeing God do incredible and and powerful things. I'll never forget, there was a young lady named Danae. I was preaching at a camp, and I'd known Danae since she was just a little baby. But I was preaching at this camp, and I told her story, and I didn't know that she was at that camp. And she came and introduced me, introduced herself to me, now as a teenager, but I hadn't known her since she was just a little baby. Let me tell you her story. I was in Pawnee, Oklahoma, and a good friend of mine named Danny Ray, he and his wife found out they were having a child. And in the midst of that pregnancy, went to a routine checkup and lost their baby. And I'll never forget when he came to my office, just broken. They just got back from Oklahoma City and came right to my office. And he was just broken and hurting, weeping. And he said, I just can't believe that it's going to end like this. And we go tears in his eyes. He said, he said, Mike, would you pray? with my wife and I? Would you and your family, would you pray with my wife and I that the Lord will give us back this baby? And what what do you say? What what do you say? There's two parts of my spirit in that moment that are are at war against each other. One is that zest, that, that, that excitement part that I know God has the capacity, I know that he has the power, and then there's that realist that says this, says, but golly, this has already been pronounced. I mean, how, how do you pray against something that's already been pronounced? And all I could do is just say, Danny, you know what, let's pray. I mean, I am, I'm gonna join you, and we're gonna pray, and my wife and I began to pray, and we began to pray with them many times throughout that weekend, just praying. His wife was supposed to go to the doctor on Monday. This was on a Thursday. Supposed to go to the doctor on a Monday with their plan and how they were gonna remedy this pregnancy that had gone wrong. And I'll never forget his wife. She said, I want you to recheck everything. That's what she told the doctor. I want you to recheck everything. And so they began to recheck everything. And not only did they find a living baby, they found a living baby that was further along than they thought she should have been. 
And a few months after that, little Danae Ray was born. And we celebrated a great miracle, powerful miracle. We've seen in this church a little girl named Sophia. God doing incredible work and miracle. Literally taking someone on the brink of death to life. We've seen it in the lives of some of our deacons where we've seen God move in incredible ways. We've seen cancer heal. We've seen a lot of things, haven't we? And I know how we responded in all of those situations. I know how we responded. There was great joy, there was great excitement, and there was great praise for what God had done. Come on, if you're with me, say I am. We celebrated those moments, powerful moments. I remember celebrating with Danny and his family, this incredible and powerful moment. And so you would think that in this moment, when a man who's been crippled from birth, you would think that in that moment when his healing happened, there would be great celebration and honor to God, right? But that's not what happened. There was great celebration, but there was no honor to God because they were in a town called Lystra. Lystra had not heard of God. They had not heard the gospel. They didn't know anything about God. And so the only gods that they knew were the gods that they gave recognition. And so what happens in this moment when this man stands up and he's healed and word gets around and people find out that this guy who couldn't walk, he had no control over his legs from birth, had always been lame, they, they, they heard and they, they celebrated and they gave recognition to the gods they knew, Zeus and all the other pantheon of gods. And guess what? The guys that brought the healing, that God used in the healing, Paul and Barnabas. And see what they did? They said and they thought and they proclaimed that Paul was Hermes and that Barnabas was Zeus. And they began to say, they began to shout, and you'll see it in the scriptures in a moment. They began to sing and shout, the gods have come among us in human form. Let's look at what it says in God's word. Acts chapter 14, I want to start in verse 11, right after the man had been healed. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Hermes was the chief speaker of the gods. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, just like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. Got all the different places, going through lots of different things. And God, I pray that your word and the power of it would dig deep into our hearts, dig deep into our lives, and God, do amazing and miraculous things. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. As I was praying through and thinking about the people of Lystra, in this moment, there were a few thoughts that came to my mind. First of all, was the most obvious one. 
This was a people who had never, ever heard the gospel. Remember, the, the convergence of the church, this powerful moment in history is just at its beginning steps, and so the gospel hadn't made it to everywhere yet, and here was this little town, this little, remember, a retirement community for Roman soldiers, kind of a gathering place, an eclectic gathering place of what we call maybe the Lord or the world's leftovers. If you're with me, say, I am. And these people had not heard of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had not heard about the Old Testament and how good and how awesome God was. They didn't know anything about how to worship him. He was completely unknown to them. And so in this moment, this people who had never heard of God, who'd never encountered the gospel, but yet are still spiritually hungry, did the only thing that they knew to do. Now let's think about this for a second. I said they were spiritually hungry. These are people that wanted to believe in something. Think about that. They wanted to believe in something. They wanted to trust in something. They knew there was something missing from their lives. They knew that there was a void, but they did not know how to fill it. And so they tried to fill it the best they could with what they had. Come on church, you with me right now? They tried to fill it the best way they could with what they had. And so what they had were these other gods and these other idols that had been brought to them from different cultures around them. And so they basically picked and chose the gods and idols that would help fulfill the void that each of them had. And primarily in this case, what we see is that the god was Zeus, the god of all gods. That was the primary worship that we see noted in the scriptures. And so they were, that's who they followed. They were starving to fill that void. They were spiritually needy. And then they grabbed onto these gods. And I began to think and pray, you know what? There's still a lot of this happening today. A lot of this happening. Let's put it in a different perspective though. Every single one of us are around lots of different people every single day. The neighborhood you live in, the place that you work, the community that our church is in, all around us are lots and lots of people. And many, believe it or not, even right here in the Bible Belt, right here in Oklahoma City even, there are many people who have never ever heard the life-saving message of the gospel. They've never known, no one has ever told them that God loved them so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. They've never heard what that means for them or for anyone else. They don't understand that they have sinned against God. They don't understand they have done bad things and that God paid a great price to pay for those sins, to give them forgiveness of those bad things. Come on, church. They have no awareness of it because they've never heard it. Every statistic I look at, every demographic study, even of our community shows the godlessness And when I say godlessness, that's not beating up on anybody. That's not a a bad adjective to describe someone. It's just the fact that they have no spirituality based on who God is. They just don't know him. They've just not heard. When I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 92% of the city population did not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's 4%. If they were 4% more, they would be considered an unreached people group by the International Mission Board. It was just lostness. They just didn't know God. And sometimes we think, and this is what this means to us this morning, church, sometimes we think 
that because there's a church on every corner, literally, there's a church on every corner. If you were to get out here in our parking lot with a golf club and a golf ball, you could hit about 10 different churches from the parking lot. Well, some of us could. And some of us would struggle. Maybe get five of them. But there's a lot of churches around us. And so we think, because of all these churches, we think there's all of these believers that are sharing the gospel with everybody they come into contact with, but all the data says that is not so. That we are less believing as a city than we have ever been. And the primary reason is because a lot of people here and around us just don't know. They've not heard. And so what happened in Lystra is also happening here. But yet there's a spiritual hunger amongst people. A spiritual hunger amongst people. You know how I know this? Now I've looked at book, I've read books, I've looked at surveys, I've, I've studied all the demographic stuff that's around us, but you know how, I, how this really zeroed in? And this is an act of modern science and technology, Kanye West. <laughs> Kanye West. The moment that word got out that Kanye West had made a profession of faith, had given his heart and life to Jesus, the world went nuts. Absolutely crazy. And you have what you would normally expect. You had believers that were criticizing and sort of being judgmental and thinking, okay, this is just a big show, it's a big sham. And then you had the other part of Christians that were jumping on board saying, this is incredible, this is awesome. And you had every kind of reaction in between. But here's what we didn't really think about. What we didn't really think about was that once he made this step and began to walk in it with a bit of consistency, it revealed the spiritual hunger of the people who don't know Christ in droves. Right now, how to become a Christian is one of the most trending questions on the internet. People who have been volatile towards the gospel are now listening I saw two interviews that moved me, that, that shook me a little bit, in a good way. One was the airplane interview with James Corden. If you've not seen that, you need to watch it. Because here's a guy that typically makes fun of Christianity and believers, and he makes this statement. I don't know if it's because we're 35,000 feet above the ground or because of what I'm experiencing here with you guys, but I have never felt closer to God. How incredible is that? How incredible is it that he can get on an interview with Jimmy Kimmel who has not been very nice to Christianity or Christians and respond with a genuine interest in the gospel because of what happened in this guy's life. In fact, one of my favorite interactions in that interview, Jimmy Kimmel says, so are you a Christian rapper now? And Kanye says, I'm a Christian everything. Now listen, I, I'm not here to tell you whether he's the real deal or not. I'm praying that it is. I'm praying that it is, and you ought to be praying too. 
Because right now, in this little bit of snippet that we have, there is more interest and curiosity that's drawing out the spiritual hunger of people than we've ever seen. People are looking for churches to go to now because of what they've seen happen in him. And I think it's because of the drastic change. Here's a guy at one point who proclaimed (laughs) to be God himself in so many ways. And now has submitted himself to God. It's brought up and brought to attention this spiritual hunger. And, And here's an opportunity. Because what has happened in the past is that when people had a spiritual hunger, they turned to other idols, they turned to other things, they turned to people. If you're with me, say I am. I mean, I just sat down, I wrote down some of the things that can become gods in people's lives, including myself. Our career can become gods, our career can become idols, our finances, prestige, power, even our spouses, our children, relationships, dating, friendships, People in general can become idols or little gods for us. If you're with me, say I am. But I will tell you this, and this is a bit of a warning. People make awful gods. My wife is amazing. And I'd say that even if she wasn't sitting on the front row. Which she does by her own accord. I don't make her sit on the front row. She does that, that's where she likes to be close to me, that's all. She's an incredible woman of God. She was that before I was ever in her life. God was doing great things in her life. But she's not a good God. She doesn't have the strength or the power or the wisdom or the, she doesn't have all that God is and all that he has to handle the mess that I am. (laughs) It's not in her. And so I can't lean on her to be a God for me. Come on, church, you know what I'm saying? I know some of you thinking, boy, you shouldn't be leaning on anybody. Okay, I got you. (laughs) Noted and understood. But the point being, is that boyfriend, that girlfriend, awful God. They might be great people, but awful God. They can't handle you. They can't meet all the needs that you have. I don't care how many times they say they love you or they care about you. There's no friend, listen, there's no friend that can be a good God for you. We don't have the strength, we don't have the power, we don't have what you need. Ultimately, listen to this, little gods, little idols will fail. They will fail. And so there's the need for the believer, okay, to examine ourselves regularly to make sure that we've not allowed these little gods or these idols in our lives. Taking our attention off of God, but we have a world around us that doesn't know God, And so they run to the only thing that they know to try to find value, to try to find hope, to try to fill a void. And that's why it's so important for you and I to have an understanding of where we're at and what's going on so we can be right with God so that we can give them that message of hope. There's not anybody in this room that I know of that has the platform of Kanye West. I mean, he's got couple of million Twitter followers. Some of us have 25. <laughs> His platform is a little bigger. He can rent for an interview, a 737 airplane, fill it with a church choir, and take James Corden for a ride. He probably just paid cash for it. You're lucky to get a ride in my car if it's clean someday. 
He just has a different kind of platform. But here's what I also know. Kanye West, I mean, unless I just don't know you very well, is not going to go to work with you tomorrow. And you're going to be around people that he'll never be around, that he'll never have a conversation with. And I guess the question is, are you offering, are you telling them about this Jesus that changed your life? And listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are a lot of tricks and strategies to grow a church. There's a lot of bells and whistles. There's a lot of things you can do. You can bait and switch people. You can, there's a whole lot of things that have worked throughout the years to try to fill up a sanctuary. And I have made it my personal obligation to make sure that we don't use those strategies. Here's what I see. I see a pattern in the Bible. That is, when people walk with God, and they are truly transformed. They devote their heart and lives to the fact that Jesus lived, he died, they rose again, they paved, they lived such a, a grateful life for the forgiveness they've received. And they walk with God so intimately by his word and by prayer through the disciplines of the faith, they walk with God so intimately that they have a spiritual boldness. Isn't that what the last 14 chapters of Acts have been? People who walk with God with a spiritual boldness and who aren't afraid to speak the truth and to let people know that God loves them. Not to point out their faults, not to judge them, not to demean them, not to hurt them or wound them. The church has done enough of that. But to show them that God loves them and have a lifestyle that gives you credibility when you speak. Come on. In the way that we act, in the way that we speak, in the way that we treat others, because how awful is it that someone who has an idol would ever say, the idol that I'm holding on to that you say that I have is way better than the God that I see in your life. Man, that's wicked. That's awful. So what happens? How do Paul and Barnabas respond? Well, first of all, to understand their response, you have to understand what's happened to them. They have now been exalted from mere men to gods. <laughs> Sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? I mean, just a second ago, I was just Paul. Now I'm Hermes. Barnabas goes, that ain't nothing. I'm Zeus. <laughs> right? I'm Zeus. I mean, there's the opportunity that Barnabas could have had anything that he wanted in the city. Think about that. These people not only were calling him Zeus, but they were preparing. Listen, the priest, think how crazy this is. The priest who was in charge of the temple of Zeus was bringing the oxen covered in reeds for the sacrifice. This wasn't just some crazy guy on the street thinking, hey man, but that's Zeus. That wasn't happening. <laughs> this was the intelligent people. These were the leaders. These were the people in charge. These was everybody in the city was saying, this is Zeus. And we need to worship him now. They had read things that said at some point in time that Zeus, that Hermes would come in great power. And they began to put all these different pieces together and decided this was the moment. And there was an opportunity for Barnabas to manipulate this crowd, to manipulate this city. He could have literally had anything that he wanted. And the same kind of power 
was in Paul's hands as Hermes. He could have done the same thing. But their immediate reaction was powerful. Their immediate, when they understood really what was going on and what people were thinking, the first thing the Bible says is that they tore their clothes. You keep reading, you find out they tore their clothes, which is an act of anguish, an act of mourning. And I believe it was because of the brokenheartedness of the condition of these people. See, you're spiritually starving. You've given your lives to all these things that aren't working for you. And they tore their clothes in anguish and mourning. And then they declared the truth. Listen, we are just men, just like you. We're just men, just like you. But we bring good news. We bring good news. And what was the good news? You keep reading the good news was that there is this God over all the things that you worship. You worship the things on the land, you worship the things in the air and in the sea, you worship all of these created things, but we are telling you the good news of the creator of all those things who loves you. And there is no doubt based on the previous 14 chapters, there is no doubt in my heart, no doubt in my mind that in that conversation, there was a presentation of the gospel where he said, listen, the God, this creator who's made it rain, who's put sunshine or who's given you your crops, given everything that you need, the things that you've decided to worship, this God loves you and he cares for you and he has made a way for you. But you know what happens? They joyfully accept the message, right? That's not what happens. Let me keep reading. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, men, why are you doing this? We, too, are only human men. We're just like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, listen to this, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to him. He is preaching the truth and people are still trying, okay, Zeus, right? Okay, Barnabas, right? We get you. But then something else happens. Then some Jews came from Antioch. Remember the troublemakers, the pot stirrers? Remember the people that have been following them? People from Antioch and Iconium came, won the crowd over, and here's what happened. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, he went back into the city. And the next, next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Imagine this. He says, we're, we're not gods. And they're like, okay, as, with, as they're worshiping him still, <laughs> we're not gods. And he's trying to explain to them who God is, trying to explain the gospel to them. And then the pot stirrers from the previous city show up to cause trouble. And the Bible says they turned the crowd, probably convincing, we don't know this for sure, but most likely convincing the crowd that these were imposters who intended to trick them into their religion. And so they took Paul and they stoned him. 
And they believed, they'd stoned him so bad, they believed that he, had, he was dead. And they took him to the edge of the city just to die. But meanwhile, the Bible says that the disciples, the ones who knew the Lord, gathered around him, probably doctored him up a little bit, got him back to a safe place in the city. And it says the next day, Paul and Barnabas left for Derby. Man, Paul's a machine. He just won't quit. And something interesting happened. They go to Derby and they share the same gospel. And many believers are birthed that day. So you have a city that rejected this powerful truth. And then you have a city that received it. And they were changed forever. For more information about Cherokee Hills Baptist Church, visit us online at chbcok.com.